RDT Systems, baby. Dog tested and dog tough. We've got those soft mouth dummies. Now listen, everybody knows that we need more bumpers. I'm not talking about one or two or three. I'm talking about adding bumpers to your repertoire. I like using white or black and white bumpers when I'm training my dogs for marks and even blinds. You can get the orange ones. I dig it. But add a bunch to your repertoire. And I'm again, I'm not talking about three to six. If you're working on T pattern, if you're working on blinds and pattern blinds, you need a bunch, a dozen, 18. The Soft Mouth Dummies by DT can't be beat. Check them out, LoneDuckOutfitters.com. DT Difference. Let's go. Hashtag Man's Best Kennel. It's Gunner Kennels, baby. It's a kit. We had Addison on the, the podcast, a phenomenal dude, always innovating our industry. And one of the things that he brought up is it's a kit. It's not just the kennel itself. You've got the fan 2.0 for your summer, right? Like it's hot out. We got to keep that dog cool. In wintertime, you got the all weather kit. Keeps that poor body temperature in there so the dog doesn't have to work as hard to stay warm. They also have the magnetic door accessory that keeps that body temperature in there. And then the straps. Everybody thinks like, oh, I'll just go to Home Depot and get the cheapo straps. Well, listen, they developed these straps so that basically you can lift a VW bug with the two straps. So if you were to get in a car accident on the way to the duck blind or the training grounds, that dog is going to be beyond strapped and stay safe. Check it out. Gunner Kennels, baby. Slide into the DMs. We'll hook you up. Force fetch. What is it? It's super intimidating to so many people, yet it's not that difficult. I built a step-by-step process that helps you understand it, you and your dog can be successful in it, and it takes the intimidation away of the process so that you and your dog can get to your goals. That's what it's built for. Let me teach you how I do it so that you and your dog can do it. Different breeds, different personalities, problem solving, and more. Check it out. Links in the description. The Force Fetch Course. Baby. Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles. Tonight's episode, we talk about everything shed dog hunting. I'm so excited to be here with Kevin and our guest Jeremy Moore from dogbonehunter.com. Jeremy has pioneered the shed hunting with your dog industry. He's created some really cool products and he's going to help us teach our dogs how to shed hunt and give us and our dog something to do in the off season. Jeremy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here tonight. You bet. Hey, first off, uh, fellas, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, looking forward to it. Obviously, we've messaged back and forth a little bit on it. So, uh, like you said, and a hell of an intro there. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to really live up to that. But um, so, so like like you said, so my name is Jeremy Moore, and I'm I'm from Wisconsin. I'm actually from. Uh, small town uh, called Pulaski. Uh, it's near Green Bay. No one knows what Pulaski is, but everyone knows Green Bay. So um, I'm from, I've, I've lived here most of my life. Um, my, wife, I have a, my wife and I, and we have a couple kids and we've got a baby on the way. So we've got uh, a really, um, you know, a real, real typical family, I think. We've, we've got uh, a lot of dogs. Uh, we, we own a few and train a few. It ends up being what I think is a lot in, in relative terms. It's probably not that many from a trainer's standpoint, but uh, for me it is. Um, but so we've, we've got a, 
um, a small company. Um, it's called More Outdoors. It, it actually has a couple different brands. Um, one of our brands is Dogbone. It was one of the ones that um, really kind of got us started and established us and um, gave us, it, it was a passion of mine that uh, turned into a business. So um, it's it's something that's been a real interesting uh, journey. And now we're uh, we're looking to we continue to kind of take it and grow it. And um, our product started out. I mean, I know we're going to talk a lot about shed training. Um, our product line started out shed training. We we moved into some game recovery training, which is tracking. Um, we really were kind of we kind of went to the idea of um, I'm a real passionate whitetail hunter. I'm I'm a big. I, if it weren't for it, it's it's funny because just recently now that fall has started. Um, with, with bird hunting, I, I wouldn't, I, I'd thought about it quite a bit cause I'm training some gun dogs right now. And I probably, I know I wouldn't, um, uh, bird hunt. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do upland and I wouldn't do waterfall if it weren't for dogs. Like that, that's the reason why I do it. I love doing it. Um, and, and so, but my, I'm a really passionate whitetail guy and I had to figure out a way to kind of cross over the things that I loved. I loved deer hunting. I loved everything about deer, but I loved working the dogs. And so one of the things that was kind of unique um, when we started, it was real early on. And the idea of how do you use your dog, your retriever uh, to help you from a deer standpoint. And to me, the, you know, the first thing that I found um, the, the, the real connection and synergy was with shed training. And then from there it evolved into some game recovery work. And, and, and I, you know, the dogs I'm training, the dogs I own, they do it, all of it. They don't just do one or the other. I don't specialize with them. So, um, so that's kind of like a real, real nutshell, um, to where we are now. Um, but yeah, we just, we, you know, we're a small company and we're trying to grow it. That's awesome. Um, so quick little side note from the dogs, Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers, who's your guy? Oh man, I'm a Bears fan. What? Oh, now, uh, that could turn some people off real quickly if they're, <laughs> if they're Packer fans. But I'll tell you what it did. Uh, growing up a Bears fan in literally the shadows of Lambeau Field, like my high school was blocks away from Lambeau Field, uh, it made for thick skin. So it, I, I, I feel like it helped forge me into the man I am today. But, uh, yeah, I'm a, if I had to pick, the gunslinger. Like, That's you can't, right. I'm, dude, Silver Fox all the way. All day. I'd rather drink a beer with Brett Favre than Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Totally. If, totally. If, now, I bump into Rodgers once in a while. I see him at the post office, and I will say this. Uh, good dude. Really, really humble, really grounded, really nice guy. Um, but, yeah, if I got a pick, I'm going Favre. Good deal. Yeah, I would, too. Next time you see him, let him Next time you see him, let him let him know you think that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I will, I will. Yeah, cool. All right, so now let's get let's get started with the dogs. You know, you kind of touched on it, but uh, tell us about your first dog. What was the dog's name, and how did it come to be where shed hunting and this dog became something? Became more than just you know a, a side thing. Yeah. So if you, yeah, so backing up, like I, my, I was raised, my, my parents had, had golden retrievers. 
Um, I, I had golden retrievers all my life growing up. Um, very informal training. Uh, my, my parents didn't know how to train dogs. We didn't, I didn't know how to train dogs as a kid. Um, but we had a friend of ours, a family friend that we actually got our first golden retriever from, and he was a big hunter. Uh, he was one of my dad's buddies and he, he had really, really nice gun dogs. And so both upland and waterfall. And so when, and they were goldens. And so I kind of like, I knew what I wanted. I didn't know how to get it. And so when I grew up, uh, my parents had these goldens. I fooled around with them a little bit, but not very seriously until, um, actually until I went to college in, in when I went, when I was out of high school, going to college, I brought one of the golden retrievers, one of our family's golden retrievers, I brought her to school with me. <clears throat> and that fall, a couple of my buddies got some dogs and, you know, you go, you go through that phase where everyone's before you get kids and wives and stuff, you, you get dogs. So these guys all had got pups in, in college and I brought my parents for a semester and in the fall and, and kind of, we hunted the dogs pretty, pretty hard. And, um, I loved it. I mean, I, that was, I, I knew right then I needed, I needed my own. So, um, the following year I got my own, I got a, a black lab. Um, it was the first lab our family had ever had. Um, I really, I, you know, we, we had these golden, I love goldens. Um, I, I just, they have such long hair and we'd shave them in the fall and they look like labs. So I thought, why not get a lab? So I got a lab. Um, and man, she was good. And it, it was, it was probably what, what really, started me on the road that I am on now because she was just really good. I wasn't, she was, and she made it real easy. Um, and I found a lot of success with her. And so, but it was all bird stuff. We were, I went to school in Western Wisconsin, UW Stout, a little state school. And most of my buddies were from Minnesota and they were all big duck hunters. So we, I got into it pretty heavily in college. I trained this little dog. Um, she was a real fine gun dog. Um, and from there, I got out of school and, and I hunted a lot um, through through college. And once I got out of school and I started working, I realized real quickly that, you know, I was I, I missed the deer part because I spent most of my most of my time bird hunting. And, and if you're a serious hunter, you realize very quickly that, like, if you're a bird hunter, you don't have time to be a deer hunter. Like if you're a deer hunter, you don't have time to be a bird hunter. Like they, if you're going to do them seriously it just takes so much commitment time-wise. So I didn't, I got away from the deer stuff and then I wanted to get back to it. And so the, I had this, this, this dog of mine who at that time, gosh, she must've been probably, gosh, she must've been five or six years old at that point. And I took her and, and had heard about a guy shed hunting with his dog. I, I Googled it. And there was, at that time it was one article. It was an outdoor life article. You can still find it if you Google it, but um, it was this one guy that it was just a story about him and he, using his dog and, and he was shed hunting with it out West. And so I, I decided that, you know, man, I'm going to try it. And this, this is, this is this old dog of mine named Remy. And, uh, she did it. I mean, she just did it, but she, everything she did, she did well. So it was like, it wasn't really a surprise to me that she could do it. Um, I didn't know what I was doing and she, she was just, she was a real, real intelligent dog and real biddable, just really wanted to make you happy. Um, started picking up some antlers with her. And that first year, I found more antlers that year than I had found any other year shed hunting prior. And uh, I shed hunted prior to using the dogs. Um, put a lot of miles on. Probably didn't know where I was going. Didn't go to the right places. For a variety of reasons, I didn't find many. 
Um, but once you start doing something and finding success, like it's really easy to figure out if you look at it and try to break it down, why did you find success in it? And then you can, you just get better at it. So, um, me and her did it for a season and then I was real hooked. Um, from that point on, I bought a pup. Um, I actually bought a pup that I was going to, that, that's all I wanted to do with her was shed trainer. So I got her, um, and was bringing her up to, to be a shed dog. And, uh, early on, she was probably, she was probably about six months old. Um, I remember this, like, this is like the start of our business. So I, I remember it like it was yesterday and I took this dog and it was in the springtime and, um, she was, she was probably six months old. She was done teething. Um, she was making little retrieves for me and I, I pitched an antler for her, <clears throat> just a heart, just a hard antler. And I figured that's the way to do it. And so I threw it for her. She had a lot of drive and she had a lot of go and she had a lot of excitement and she ran up to that antler, uh, and she poked herself and she turned around and came running right back to me, just scared. I mean, like you just, the body language on her was so clear and she yipped a little bit and she wanted nothing to do with it like immediately. And, uh, so I, I, I really kicked myself and I went, boy, did I screw that up, you know? And, um, so I, I started thinking about it and I started thinking, well, why, you know, it, what happened? Why did I'm always trying to analyze stuff and break it down and figure out like, if, if it doesn't go well, why, and how do I change it? If it did go well, why, and how do I replicate it? So it's kind of a, a thought process I'm always thinking about. And I, I realized, boy, I don't, I don't introduce bird dogs, a little six month old dog. I'm not going to put her in a pen with a rooster and hope I turn into a gun dog or a bird dog. It just doesn't work that way. So I figured, I thought about it and I thought, man, how could I incrementally get her comfortable or understanding what this thing is and, you know, that it's not a negative and all that. And it's not to say that it happens all the time because I don't think it will. I don't think, I don't think all dogs, um, that hear loud noises turn gun shy. I don't think that happens, but I think that you increase your chances of having those effects if you don't introduce something properly to, to a dog. And so this was a real similar situation. I just had a dog that was afraid of, of an antler and it was because of a negative introduction. So that was when dog bone started. Cause I was like, damn dude, I got to figure out a better way of doing this. So I, I thought about it and I thought when I train a gun dog or a bird dog, I take incremental steps. I start out with a balled up sock and then I go to a puppy bumper and then I tape some wings to it. I add scent to it. I take steps to get them to birds. And so why, why aren't I taking steps to get them to sheds? And so that was where the idea came. And, um, so those, those two dogs, I credit the business on because Remy was the dog that got me passionate about training dogs. Um, and she lived a great life, man. We, we, we lost her several years ago, but, um, she was, she was just awesome. And, and she was one of those really, really special dogs. And I was lucky because it was one of my first ones. Uh, and then Finn was the other dog that, um, you know, helped me by making, by me, by me being dumb and making a mistake. Um, it, she helped me, uh, figure out a better way of doing it. And that kind of grew into what, what our business is at this point. And that's pretty cool. So how did you overcome the antler shyness? How over time, how did that work out? Explain that. With, with that dog specifically? Uh, yes, please. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think it it was it was time. Part of it was time. Um, you're gonna hear. I'm sure we'll talk for a while here, and 
you'll hear me talk about time and how I hate it. How I, how I just, when it comes to training, I don't, I don't correlate time often. This is one time that yes, I had to, I had to build in time. Um, I, it took time. It took me figuring out ways to be creative, uh, to build her confidence back up. So there was time. I mean, I literally, like literally she was pretty soft dog and I, I, I like soft dogs, um, probably to the degree of a lot of people would say they're not very good. And I go, Oh, that's perfect. I love that one. Cause I, I like them softer. It's my personality. It's my training style. I get more out of those dogs. I, I don't have a real, um, I'm not real heavy with a dog. I, I struggle. I, I'm big on building trust and connection and feel. I don't, I'm not big into fear tactics. I don't like dogs working because they're afraid I'm going to get after them. So, so I just, it's my, it's my psychology of, of how to get the most out of somebody, uh, whether they be people or dogs. So, um, this little dog was, was soft and, uh, I realized that and I just went, man, I gotta, I'm going to have to get creative and figure out ways to build her confidence. It was to the point where like I would pick up an antler, she'd go away from me. Like she'd go in the other room. Like she just, she just had this, and I, I don't know if it got her in the nose, if it got her in the eye, you know, little, in, in, you know, six month old pup, pretty small, little sensitive face. Now you couple that with a relatively soft dog. Um, you know, it was, it was probably pretty traumatic for her. And so I really think for, I really kind of think she thought the thing bitter, like, you know, and if, and, and she's, it was a sign of, you know, dog's pretty smart. So if, if something, if you go up to something and stick your face in it and it bites you, don't do it again. Like that, yeah. that's smart. Like to me, that's a sign of intelligence. And so I think that's part of what she had in the back of her mind. So I had to figure out a way I had to figure out how her, how to get her to come around to the idea. This thing isn't going to hurt me necessarily. So it was a lot of like desensitizing um, just having an antler around in the first place and, and, and then when it was ensuring that it wasn't startling, like I wasn't gonna, I wasn't going to be able to get her past it by trying to f- force it into her mouth. I wasn't going to get it, pa- get her past it by dropping it on it. A- I mean, it could have been an accident, but you drop it next to her and there's a loud bang and Oh God, you know, she's, it, it we're just, so I had to be real careful about it and it just, it, it took time. I mean, it, yeah, I'm, it's one of those things where, I'm reminded of it regularly with dogs and, and probably the older I get and the more I train, the, the less I care about their age and the time that I've got into doing something. All I care about is getting there. I don't care how long it takes to get there. I, I care about getting there. So I've really, um, as a whole, slowed my processes down with everything I do. Um, and, and for me, Sometimes I have to remind myself of that too, and go. I don't know why I'm why I'm stressing out or why I'm worrying about it. At times, like if, if I'm training a client's dog in particular, you know, sometimes they they aren't as patient as I am. Right, uh, right. Most of the time, they're not as patient as I am. But I have to, you know, I have to realize and sometimes take a step back and go. You know what? I tr- I trust my process. I think I'm. I think we're on the right track. As long as we're moving forward, we're good. No, I couldn't agree more. I feel like I've got the same problem or maybe not problem is the word, but same idea with my clients for gun dog training. It's not every dog's the same. Not every dog, they might be stellar at one piece of the training, but they're really struggling something else. And I've got to balance 
to keep the attitude up, positive, fun, and maintain, a, you know, the progress that we're trying to make to become ultimately a great hunting companion. Um, right. But every dog's different, and I feel stress sometimes of like we're not getting there quick enough but but what is quick enough every dog is different every dog is different no i totally agree man and and that's it's such a relative thing and it's it it's so it it can it creates the one of the issues i see with it is um comparison like comparisons like and you nailed it when you said, you know, some, sometimes some of these dogs do really, really well at something in particular, but they really struggle at something else. Well, I got news for you. Like, it's a chain. Like, and, and if the chain, if all the links aren't connected, the chain doesn't do you any good. So, like, you could be very, very good at certain things, but you're not real good at other things, or you're really not very good at all, not good at all at certain things. And unfortunately, they all have to, they all have to be there in order to connect. And so, and I, I, you know, training the dogs is pretty easy. Sometimes it's, you know, having that. And, and I think it is, I think the reason is, is because like my mind, it's, that's my mindset. Like, that's how I think that's, that's the, I get, I get that because I've been doing it a long time where sometimes, you know, other parties that are involved with it, I shouldn't expect them to get it because it took me a long time to figure it out myself. So I have to, I've learned, um, I think over the years I've learned, I've gotten a lot better. I need to continue to get a lot better at being able to verbalize and, and explain it to people that don't necessarily, it's not clicking with them. It's not, they're not, it's just not making sense. I talk about it clicking a lot, like with the dog, like you'll do something, you'll do something, you do something and all of a sudden it clicks and then we move forward. And so I need to get things to click sometimes with owners and I see it, I know when it happens, right? It's good. It'll, it'll, we'll get there. We always, we always do, but I see when it happens because you, you read their bot, you read their face and they're all of a sudden they go, Oh, and they get it. And once they get it, I go there. Now they understand. And now, you know, it just becomes a lot easier. So, you know, with me, a lot of clients that I train dogs for, um, they're clients that I've already trained dogs for. And those, those are, seemingly um a little less friction because it just goes smoother because they get it they, they've they've heard me they've heard they've heard me say the things i say enough times where they not only do they hear it but they, they they listen to it and then they hear it and you can tell it just it makes sense to them yeah so well that's the, that's like they understand you know, and trust the process too totally yeah totally. cool and and that comes and understandably you know if you if you're if you come back to someone and you're doing business with someone again like there's a reason why it's because you were satisfied you, you liked what you got out of it the first time and and like exactly trust is such a big word there and they get it they you know and and so that's to me that's um that's something i'm always looking for that's what i'm as a trainer, that's, I think, what everyone is looking for. Sure. All right. Let's jump. I couldn't agree more. But uh, to jump into, you know, we were talking about the young dog who got poked by yeah. the antler. It led you into innovating and inventing a new product that, as far as I know, has never even been thought of by anybody but yourself. And that would be 
the shed antler retrieving system and yeah. and in essence <laughs> after the money i spent on the patent no one else better you know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> exactly um but it, it, essentially it's a um, extremely durable bumper that's shaped like an antler so yeah. so how did you develop that what made you think besides you know having the experience you had with your dog how did you come up with that and then where did it how did you well, get to where you are now yeah so it's so the idea so my idea with it was i realized my problem like i think everything comes from problems like there's you know problems are problems but boy you get a lot of good stuff out of them because it gives you chances to think about things and fix stuff and figure out better ways more efficient ways slicker ways to do things so for me that's what this was i had a problem and i went how do i avoid it in the future because i had a i had this like i didn't have it took me a while to develop it so um you know i i went uh and fixed this little dog that was afraid of antlers it took a long time and it took a lot of different ways of being creative i found places that she was really really comfortable i slowly introduced the idea of an antler could be around that and it's not so bad and so that was her but then i went next time i don't want to have put myself in this position so um, when it came to the idea behind it, I thought when I train gun dogs, I don't start out with birds. I start out with things and I make them look like it and I make them smell like it and I make them feel like it. And eventually we introduce some birds. And so it was this process, these steps that we took to do it. So I simul I replicated that with an antler and I went, the thing that I found that was difficult with young dogs um, cause now as I'm, as I'm, as I'm training more and more of them, I'm starting to figure out, I'm starting to go, man, there's, I'm running into some things that are similar, uh, things that they might blink at a little bit, balk at a bit. So one of them was feel like a hard antler in a dog's in a soft mouth dog. It just doesn't, it's not built that way. Like these dogs have been bred for hundreds and hundreds of years to have what we call a soft mouth deliver birds undamaged you know they, they have it's it's genetic it's dna it's been built into them and so when you start taking objects that are hard like an antler and you start putting it to a soft mouth there's tendencies to be like hey this isn't right this doesn't the this isn't the way and so i've had i've had some dogs that just don't like the idea of it so i went i know they I know what they do like. I know that they, that soft mouth and a feel of an, a soft object in their mouth is good. So I started out actually with um, the original one was a was a foam material. It was a, a poured foam material. Um, I got in touch with a, a, a manufacturer out of Minnesota and worked with molding. I, I gave him an antler because I wanted it to be a certain type of antler. Like I didn't want real long tines. I didn't want... Um, a big, I didn't want it. I wanted to make it so that we could set a dog up for success to pick up this shape because what I, what I really believe shed dogs do is they're not in love with sheds. I don't think bird dogs are in love with birds. I don't think gun dogs, I don't think a duck dog loves dogs. I think duck dogs love to retrieve. We teach them what to retrieve. I mean, they started out bringing fish out of nets. So they're not, it's not like it's just a bird dog. It's not like it's just a shed dog. So what I needed to do was teach my dogs love to retrieve. Like, uh, you know, when it comes to dogs, makeup, retriever is a retriever. Like it's part of their name. They retrieve naturally. So 
what I think we need to do is figure out what do we want them to retrieve and then how do we go about that? So for me, a shed dog is nothing more than a duck dog that has been conditioned to pick up the shape of an antler and all, and eventually the smell of an antler and do the exact same thing that he would do if it was a duck or a pheasant or a quail or a whatever, like my newspaper. I mean, I've seen some really, really nice bird dogs and gun dogs go get beer out of the refrigerator for their owners. Like those dogs weren't bred to be beer dogs. They were, they, they're retrievers. And That's my kind of dog. Teach them some specific, you know, duties, some jobs that, that they, that lend themselves well to their natural inherent traits. So my shed dog, that my idea was get the shape of an antler, just, just make it look like an antler and make it feel good in their mouth. And so make it so that when they go pick this thing up, it's awkward and it's a little cumbersome and it's a little bit, you know, it's a weird shape for them. Make it so that when they pick it up wrong, they don't jab themselves or poke themselves with a sharp bone. Like a, like, I mean, you, you, you know what an antler is. I mean, it's, yeah. it's hard. It's pointy. It's you, you jab yourself with an antler. It hurts. So now do it in your face. Like that really hurts. So if I can figure out a way to make something look like the antler but doesn't necessarily feel like it and certainly doesn't poke or jab like it, now I can start teaching this dog and get it through some of those rougher times where it's just not very good at it yet without creating a negative effect, without creating a dog that says, nope, I don't want to do it. So that's where that dummy came around. And from that, I went, well, I know that we have to eventually incorporate the nose because I, I you know... I do a lot of stuff with tracking dogs now, and, and I realized I've learned so much more about a dog's nose um, over the last probably five to seven years just because of more so for tracking, but I learned more about the noses from canine trainers like police dogs and drug dogs and bomb dogs than, than anybody and anything because it, with them, like, that's their livelihood. Like, they, they, they can't make mistakes on that stuff. So they know a dog's nose process is sent and so i've just learned so much from them and and realized you know i, I knew all along but it's been it's been really in front of me now and, and out in, in, in right in in my face with the idea of i gotta get these guys using their noses they use them naturally that's the nice part like it's not like i, I don't teach a dog to use his nose I, I teach a dog some discrimination i gotta get them to understand what it is that's going to equal that retrieve so at that point, I went, how do I, how am I going to do that? And that took me a while. Like I, uh, I fooled around and I fooled around and I fooled around with different processes of trying to replicate and figure out how to get these scenting elements. And that's what it really amounts to is antler is part of it. Like I think a lot of people think the antler is the scent. Well, that is part of it. Bone smells, um, you know, and, and as bone as bone ages, it changes. So there's there's different scent, there's just different scenting elements there. But there's also a lot of outside influence of scenting elements that are found on shed antlers too that I think a lot of people overlook. So when I started thinking about it, I went, "There's the antler, but what about all the other stuff that associated scent wise?" And I I inquired my own. I mean, I I literally tinkered with it for for a while um, and started creating it until I thought I was doing the best I could to replicate as many opportunities 
um, to simulate stuff that the dog's potentially going to find associated with it and then be able to connect it to the visual, which then connect it to the review. So it's just linking all these things together. Um, but, but so that's, that was, you know, so I came up with this thing and then I figured out how to put scent on top of it. And then I went, I went about it very similar to how I would do a gun dog or a bird dog. I mean, the training is not that much different. Um, when you start talking about the X's and O's of it, but the tools you got to have, you got to have the right stuff. Um, but that, you know, those are, those are big moments for me, um, from a development standpoint of those are little, little lights, lights on, light lights went on moments for me where I went, ah, I think that'll work. All right, Jeremy. So, so this is Kevin. Um, I've got a two year old. It's actually her birthday today. Her name is Birdie. Um, she's a two-year-old golden retriever who loves uh, pheasants and ducks. We're getting her into geese a little bit. Uh, yeah. She's a little peanut, though, so she struggles carrying around some big geese. But uh, I'd love for some off-season mental work for her. Um, yeah. My wife and I go hiking a lot, so we're always out in the woods. But I think it'd be great to you know, not only have Birdie around – which we do anyways, but it'd be good to have some mental work where she's searching for different things. And she sure. loves antlers. She's had, you know, little chew toy antlers since she was a puppy. So when you tell her to go find her antler, she starts looking around the house and goes and brings it back to you. Sure. So I don't think it's going to be that much of a stretch to have her quartering while we're out on a walk in the woods. Um, but I guess give me some advice. Like, What do you think? Yeah, so, well, I think it makes a lot of sense. So, you know, when you start out and you go, she, you, you said she, you duck on with her, right? Yep. And, uh, and happy birthday, by the way, Birdie. But uh, so, so you, bird, you duck hunt with her and you pheasant hunt with her, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, uh, she gets a, a good amount of exercise and, and definitely understands that we're out in the field, in the woods, whatever, and we're looking for x to retrieve yeah so so the reason i i point out those two things are because they're they're very contrasting things like uh a gun dog um if we're gonna duck hunt with a gun dog or goose hunt with a gun dog we need a dog that's steady to shot we need a dog that's lining we need you know like the the, the stuff the actual stuff we're doing with that dog in comparison to what we're doing with a pheasant dog they're, they're pretty different, you know, quartering and casting, flushing and retrieving versus steadiness and all that stuff. So those two things you're able to do, and I think most people that are listening will be able to say, you know, with confidence, they can go, yeah, you can you can do both with your bird, with your gun, with your dogs, you know, gun dog, bird dog, whatever it is, you can do both of those. The What's interesting is a lot of people think when it comes to sheds, oh, that's too, you know, that's way too specialized. And I think they're intimidated by the idea of it and, and afraid of the fact that, you know, the, the idea that they could do it. And I, I got to say, man, like you're able to do some some two two activities that are quite different. The shed hunting part of it is like identical to the pheasant hunting part of it. If you've got a pheasant hunting, if you've got an upland dog, they're going to do about that when they when they're shed hunting. Like I, I purposely like I, I don't want a dog. That we're, a lot of people talk about, like, when you talk about specifics of a shed dog, they'll ask, well, how far will they range? You know, how, how, how much ground? Because I always say they, they cover a lot of ground, and they do. But I don't like dogs working out beyond gun range. Like, I don't want a dog that works beyond where I could shoot. And so 
it goes, it, and it's for a couple of reasons. One of them is because I bird hunt with them as well, and I don't want to start forming habits that I'm going to have to train out later. I don't think it's flipping a switch with a dog and saying, you're, you're shed hunting today, tomorrow we're pheasant hunting, so your range is going to be completely different. So I, I, I go with the close working dog. I prefer the, dog, the shed dog that works close. And I have, I have some people go, man, I don't need a dog working out 30 yards. I need them to really get out there. And I, I challenge people when they say that next time you're shed hunting, unless you're out in a field, like unless you're in a hay field, let's say you're in a hay field, uh, Stevie wonder can find sheds in hay fields. (laughs) You don't, you don't need dogs to find sheds in those types of situations. Now, what if you're in CRP? Okay, so so if you're working in CRP, I ch- and that's a field. Um, it's not necessarily the woods, but let's. I'll tell anybody when you're shed hunting, stop and look around 30 yard radius and tell me if there was a shed laying within a 30 yard radius of you, would you be able to see it? Like you're not going to. So the dog that works that 30 yard range is covering a lot of stuff that you're not going to see. And I think if you start extending them out hundreds of yards, which a lot of guys want. Not only are they going to get in trouble, they're not going to cover it. They can't cover it all. But you're, I, I, you have this disconnect with the dog. Like I'm big on the idea of when you shed hunt with a dog, you're a team. Like when I say a team, I mean it's the handler and the dog. It's not as simple as sitting in the back of the truck drinking coffee while they fill the back end with sheds. It doesn't work that way. I think a lot of people want it to work that way. It doesn't. Like I walk as much or more with a shed dog than I would walk without one. And that's part of the reason why we have more success. Like if you go duck hunting, if you go duck hunting every day, you're going to shoot more ducks than the guy that goes once a week. Like, because you do it more often, you'll have more success. If you walk a lot of miles shed hunting, you're going to find more sheds. It's just the way it is. So I, so I, I get a little off track, but um, so back to the idea of, you know, you've got this, you know, birdie, the two year old dog, I think what you want to do is you really want to figure out, I would look at it and go, how did I get her to be a good upland dog? And then what I would do is start back at the, back at that point And I'd go, all we're going to do birdie is we're going to change objects and it's going to look a little different. It's going to feel a little different and it's going to smell a little different, but the results the same. Like you're going to make me really happy when you find this and you're going to make me even happier when you bring it back to me. And so that would be my, my real general approach to it. Um, one of the, like a more specific, you had mentioned, uh, that you have antlers and she, she, you know, she, it's she, right? Yeah. Yeah. So she plays with antlers and chews on antlers at your house. Here's where I have concern with that. Um, I'm not against, I'm not against, um, antler chews, um, unless you want to have an antler dog, like a shed dog. So here's, here's why I'm a believer in the idea that we're constantly training. Like everything we do is training. Um, dogs are always learning and we're always training. And what I always, what I'm fearful of is the idea of training something into them that is not desirable. You're one of two things. You're going to have to train it out eventually or you're gonna be stuck with something that is really you're just not looking for and so it's it's i'm a believer in simplifying dog training into the idea that dog training is nothing more than forming habits and habits are formed by repetition and consistency so when you have a antler around the house 
I think there's habits that are formed, um, and and none of them are real positive. Uh, so here's 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 the scenario. Let's say you have a shed laying, you know, in the house somewhere or in your yard or wherever, and you know throughout the day the dog might go past it a hundred times, and if they pick it up ten times to play with it or chew on it, that's fine. It's not exactly what we're looking for in a shed dog, but they at least acknowledged it and picked it up. But what did they do the other 90 times? Yeah, no, they that walked, makes sense. They walked, right, they walked right by it. And so what I think happens is is we, not intentionally, we, we, we are forming habits that are not desirable. Um, the other thing is, is when they do pick it up, like I don't, my idea of, of a, a good shed dog is not a dog that lays down and chews on the antlers in the woods. Um, and so if that's the, if that's the ritual, if that's the habit, if that's the thing that they do at the house, I think that will form habits. And I think that's essentially training. And so I don't want that. So I like, it's no different than, you know, a pheasant dog. I, I don't let them, I don't let them take their dummies and lay around the house and chew on them. I was just going to say that. Because I think what happens is, is then we get dogs that are, you know, they're confused because they go, wait a minute. Sometimes I can lay around and chew on it. Sometimes you think I got to hold it and deliver it to hand. Like what's it going to be one or the other. And I, I think we have to be consistent. I think dogs like structure and I think they like consistency. So I like to build it in that, you know, the, the idea is if you see or smell an antler, you got one job, pick it up and bring it back to dad. And boy, he's really going to, you're really going to, you get, you get double reward. You get the idea of the retrieve, which I think is the most valuable thing. That's why they do it. It's not because they like antlers. It's, it's, I think it's a combination of biddability. They know it makes me happy, so I think they want to please me. But the other part of it is, is I just think they love to retrieve. And so if you can give them objects that equal retrieve, that's the big reward for them. Well, I, I agree with you completely, uh, and I never really correlated it with shed hunting. This is Bob by the way um so it would like you said it'd be the same as allowing a young puppy to have a bumper in the house and chew the bumper up and carry it around and it devalues the bumper versus how i do it is when they see the bumper come out it means fun time work time retrieve time and it if you give it to them only when you're out doing that behavior that what we're trying to accomplish it increases the value of that object absolutely cool it's exactly it i mean in the springtime when the snow melts you know i i there my ditches by my road will be full of empty pop bottles people just throw them away because they're not worth anything but if there was a hundred dollar bill in every one of them there wouldn't be any in the ditch because everyone would pick them up because they'd have value and i i think for our dogs, we have to figure out how to give them value with an antler, and the antler, and it's a retrieve. That that's that's the value. That's the reward. The reward is not lay down and chew on it. The the reward is bring it back. Get that's another. I, I just think they live to retrieve. I think they'll do any. Like I've got a dog right now. Spry is a little dog that I'm training. Uh, it's my daughter's dog actually, and she is um, she's real nice. Uh, she, she's got her quirks, but. Um, we, we trained her live through Facebook. Um, and it was just kind of a fun little project that we did. And she, she's 
never been. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm gonna hunt the dog, but she's a year and a half old. Almost. She's gonna be two in a couple months. So, I. You know, she's not a little little pup, but she's still a pup, I guess. But she is. She does not like gunfire. I mean, I've never. I've not introduced her to gunfire yet. I haven't done anything negative about gunfire with her. She's never been exposed to anything that I know of in a negative way. I just haven't gotten around to introducing her gunfire. I'm not ready to hunt her anyway, so I'm in that big of a rush. Well, she doesn't like it. And I, a buddy of mine has a sister of hers, and he's the same way. And he's like, gosh, she's almost like she's gunshot, but I just don't think she can be. She's never been around it. But some, she's just a little skittish. She's a little hesitant. Here's how I – and I was talking with him about this just last night. Here's where I know I won't have an issue, and I'll, I'll be able to get through it with, with, with Spry is because she loves to retrieve so much. Like, she can't stand it. Like, she just loves it so much. She, the, 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 I, the way she flips a switch of focus and, and drive and, like, she's just an animal. Like, she's as cool as can be, and she's just as relaxed as can be. And she's, she, doesn't give a, she doesn't give a damn about anything until she knows she's gonna, there's going to be a retrieve involved. And then all of a sudden, it's like she turns into this, like, super athlete. And I know that the way I'll get her past this little bit of hesitation when it comes to gunfire is going to be because her desire to retrieve is so strong. And so, you know, that's a that to me is like just one other – just another example of how much retrieves mean to them. Like, they just mean so much. Right. And there's such a and I and 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 you know why part of that is I think I, and this is a, a philosophy thing as far as training too but it's because I don't give them a whole lot of them like my dogs don't retrieve like crazy like I don't I don't send my dogs on lots of retrieves my dogs look at a lot of bumpers they don't pick them all up like they because I I look for steadiness and I look for dogs to be understanding that they're not going to break and every retrieve is not theirs and all that so when they do have the opportunity to make a retrieve it's such a great reward to them they've worked so hard to get it and so that's where that's where when it comes to training a shed dog i think it's it's simple because you just key off of their their inherent trait of love their desire and like true i say love and i don't say it like jokingly like it's so pat they're so passionate about it so that's how i think you can get them get them to do whatever you want cool so with that like segue there if if we want to start birdie off like all right we're going to eliminate all the antlers in the house we're going to make antlers more uh, of a high drive you know supply and demand type of situation how would kevin or our listeners take a dog who's never gone out into the woods to find sheds how would you start a dog from zero to going out in the woods and finding one yeah uh lots of little steps and i'd the first one would probably be i just want them to get under to understand that this thing is going to equal retrieve so i'd be using a bumper i'd use one of those antler dummies and i would i would do simple whatever your whatever your um typical routines are i use a lot of trailing memories i i i I use a lot of memories for retrieves period so i would start out with like a really really simple straight line trailing memory and i'd use the bumper i'd use that antler bumper so do me a favor hesitation i wouldn't even ask the dog to be steady i'd just get him excited about it oh my god this is gonna be a lot of fun and i pitch it and i let him 
I let them pick it up. As long as they picked it up without hesitation, which most dogs will, and get, and then I go right back. Then I start slowly getting back to the idea of okay, I'm going to do it more as a more as a formal. This is going to be like a drill, like because my dogs like drills. You got to remember, um, when I say work, like I think sometimes people think when I talk about working dogs. And I don't think you guys think this, but I think some other people will probably think this. When I start talking about getting into work and more formal stuff, I think a lot of people think that it has to be very serious. And it has to be like um, almost this this idea of like work, like not in a good sense, like work like, God damn, I got to go to work again. Like, no, like I mean work like, yes, I get to go to work again. And so I think that you have to like my work for dogs is fun it's games it's it's letting them it's letting them figure something out challenge them a little bit mentally give them some physical things to usually the i can't usually i can't even slow them down physically like they just they're, they're little machines but um it's giving them some setting them up with some situations that they can kind of overcome get through and be really really proud when they come back and that and you just I always tell the proud dog because the butt really wiggles and the tail really goes and like they just they get that little look on their face and they're just smiling at you when they got it in their mouth and so that's what I'm looking for. I'd get birdie and I'd turn this into a drill that is fun and understand that shape of that white thing up. Like the the dummies themselves are white. Like it's a couple of reasons. Like it's color contrast. It's real easy. It's real easy for them to see that. Uh, as long as there isn't snow, there isn't snow on the ground. You know, if if there is snow on the ground, I use a brown. I have brown ones too. We have brown ones and we have white ones. The brown one is something that I use at a point where I'm going to transition the dog to use his nose a little bit more. Uh, no different than I would use a feathered bumper or a colored bumper um, with my gun dog. So the brown dummy I use for that. Now in the winter time when it's there's a lot of snow on the ground, that brown one is a real stark contrast. So. All of a sudden, you know, the, the antler really pops. So visually, it's easy for them to see. Um, and then I can then I can switch it, and I can you know use the brown one in cover, and I can put some more scent on it, and start using them, having them use their nose a little bit more. But to start out with you, I would just just do some simple drills. Understand that you can pick that thing up, and, and, and it's okay. It feels good. Dad likes it. It gives me a really nice retrieve. And what you're doing is you're just conditioning in the same habits that are there already from what you did when you trained her as a gun dog or a pheasant dog. So Jeremy, can I butt in real quick and just ask you to explain the trailing memory for people who don't know what that means? So, so I like trailing memories because they don't jeopardize steadiness. Like it doesn't, it doesn't. um, So if I throw a bumper for a dog and then I send them, I, I call that they're marking a bird, they're marking an antler, they're marking the object down, and then I'm sending them. And so there's it's there's not a lot of time that's built in unless you really wait a long time. So it's 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 throw retrieve, throw retrieve, throw retrieve. What happens I think is dogs start to anticipate and become a little bit less patient. And so one of the things that I like with a trailing memory is is it, it just because of the way it's built, it just it forces the dog to create some patience. It forces me to be a little more patient. It also moves the dog's feet a little bit, so they're not necessarily sending from a stationary spot. Very rarely do I um, 
well, never do I shed hunt and all of a sudden stop and line a dog from a spot. First off, you're never going to see a deer run through the woods and shed its antlers in front of you. So it's not like it's going to be marked a re- like a marked retreat by any means. So you're going to have these dogs that are going to have to move and pick stuff up off of the ground as opposed to seeing them thrown out of your hand. So what I like to do is this, this lends itself really well to transitioning. There's a lot of people that can throw antlers for dogs and they'll find every one of them and they'll always pick them up. And the problem is, is when they're laying on the ground, they struggle to get the dogs to understand he didn't throw it. So it's, it counts. I should go pick it up anyway. So this is a transitional uh, drill that, that helps with that as well. But so trailing memory, all you can do is I like to use straight lines. So if you got like a fence line or you got a, a sidewalk or you have, you know, this is early on stuff. So I'm going to try to help these dogs success. And, and so I'll find an object. It could be like, the tree line that butts up to my yard. It's just a, it's just a visual thing. It's a line. And so I'll put the dog in heel position and I'll heel the dog out. So I walk out, uh, you go 25, 30 yards, however long you want. And then I just pitch the bumper, you know, the antler dummy. I just throw it not very far, just pitch it. And then I let the dog sit and I just let him look at it. And then I tell him no heel and I turn around and I walk back. And this is another advantage, I think, with memory. So now we're building in some time. We're building in some delay. We're covering a line in and a line out. And then we're going to turn around and send the dog back on that line. So to finish it out, you heel the dog back out. You turn back around. Dog visually, that white white antler against the grass or whatever it is, is going to pop. Like they're going to see it. So you're going to see their focus. You're going to give them a little bit of time. Then you're going to line them and send them on their name. So I, I, that's just a real simple trailing memory. But the nice part about it is the other thing that I think it can do for you is a lot of times folks have dogs that work out to a certain, you can line a dog out and you can send them on a blind. You can send them on, a, on any type of retrieve and they hit like this invisible wall. Like they get out so far and then they hit like a brick wall and they start to work left and right and they're looking for something. And nine times out of 10, I, you know, I, it's frustrating to people and they'll come to me and they have the dog that does that. And I'll say, well, I, I can tell you why it's doing that. And well, how do you know? I said, well, I said, bring your dog back. So bring the dog back and I'll say, okay, take a bumper out of your, out of your bag and throw it as far as you can. So they throw it and miraculously it lands at that distance. So we can only throw things so far. And what happens is, is after we do a lot of, we get in ruts, like we totally get in a rut as a trainer. We do the same damn thing over and over and over again. We don't even notice it. Well, what happens is, is you throw the bumper over and over and over again, and the dog memorizes how many steps it takes to get to that distance. And that's where it is always. So what happens is, is now all of a sudden, maybe it's another 10, 15, 20 yards out, but the dog mentally just can't physically get through that barrier. They run out to a certain distance and they start to hunt. So when you do a trailing memory, you can pitch a bumper, you can heal a dog out, pitch a bumper, then you can turn around and you can heal and you can walk as far as you want. And you can send that dog, I mean, you can send them a thousand yards if you want to, you just got to walk a thousand yards back. And so what's happening is you're able to kind of extend some of these dogs distances. But, um, so that's just another upside to the drill, but, um, that's, that's how I get dogs to understand just because something's out there there's going to be some time I'm going to have to wait. And I think it just challenges them mentally as much as it does physically. Cool. So from, from starting that kind of program where 
you've now taught the dog, a young puppy, to enjoy picking up bumpers. Well, the shed antler uh, dummy. And, you know, I know that you sell and have created this scent. Yep. Um, and you kind of have taught this dog, this is the scent we're looking for. This is the shape of what we're looking for. We've done some marks with it. We've done some fun bumpers with it. We've done some memory building with it. How do you go, you know, I know how I would do it, and I would do it kind of like how I teach pheasant hunting, but would you then, like, go to a soccer field with short grass and scatter a few of them out there for the dog to kind of learn to how, how to quarter and work a field efficiently? How, how do you go to the next step, basically? I wouldn't because my fear is, so So here, here's why I wouldn't, is especially if it's short grass. So if I scatter a few out, my problem is, is my dogs are super smart and they're going to visually probably see it. Gotcha. And they're going to, I don't want dogs, just because they see something out of range, I don't want them going. Like I want dogs to figure out how to work close and work within range. And when we get there together, that's when we can you know, make it happen. So what I would do is I, I like to work dogs in quartering. I, I get them in. So what I would do is to get, this is the, one of the things I do, whether it be a pheasant dog or a shed dog, doesn't matter, but to get quartering and casting. First off, I like to set myself up physically with some boundaries. So like I, I'll take strips, um, I'll take strips of of grass and I'll mow straight lines. So I give I give myself I might give myself thirty maybe thirty yards wide, and I'll I'll have a mower or you know it might be might be something else. It might be a field where a field changes. Um, in our DVD, we did a shed training DVD, and in the DVD I used a, a washway uh, in a field. So it was an alfalfa field on the right. It was a cornfield on the left, which was at the time of the year, it was harvest. It was springtime, so it was like it was corn stubble, basically. And then there was this ditch that went through that field, which was like a wash, uh, and so it was a little bit taller grass, and it was just you know just wild grass or whatever. So it was like 30 yards wide, but it was like 500 yards long. So it gave me this really nice like corridor to work my dog down and let them bounce back and forth between the alfalfa and the corn, alfalfa and corn. And I did it in like a quartering way. So I physically walked at like a 45 degree angle and I started working my way to the, to the, towards the alfalfa. As soon as my dog kind of mirrors me, kind of shadows with me because it's, I've got this connection. Like I think the foundation is the key. Like I can't do this drill if I don't have a dog that works well recalling to whistle. I can't have a dog that doesn't, that doesn't turn to look on a whistle. Um, I can't have a dog that, that has no range whatsoever that just kind of free for alls. And so the foundation has to be there first and foremost. So we're assuming that we have that. So I go in like this 45 degree angle and all of a sudden, as soon as the dog hits that alfalfa field, I'll peep my whistle. Peep, peep. And as soon as I peep the whistle, because the dog's been taught to recall the whistle, they turn to look at me. And so they hear this whistle, they turn and they look. And before I peep the whistle, I have to change directions. So, so I'm going, let's say, envision yourself going down this tunnel and you're going to a 45 degree angle to the right. And as soon as it hits, the dog hits that alfalfa on the right, before it happens, I stopped, turned to the left and 45 degree angle that way. And the second the dog hit the alfalfa, I went beep, beep. And the dog turned and looked at me. And the second the dog turned and looked at me, they went, oh no, he's going the other way. And so they come with. 
So they're they're now all of a sudden they're quartering back to the left. And so I'm going to work that way, work that way, work that way. And then all of a sudden the dog's going to get close to that corn stubble on the left-hand side. And just before the dog gets there, I turn myself and I go to the right at 45 back to the right. And as soon as the dog hits the corn stubble, I beep, beep, and the dog turns and looks, and I'm going the other way. And so now all of a sudden I'm getting this dog to start working this pattern with me. And so that's my establishing of a, of a quartering. What I don't, the reason I don't put things out in front of them is because I'm going to try to work into the wind. Like I'm going to try to work into the wind or at least a quarter to the wind. So if my dogs and my dog's noses are good, they're going to get wind of stuff ahead of time. And all of a sudden they're gone and they're going to pick something. And I don't want to correct a dog that's going to pick something up that I want them to pick up. So, but it, it lends itself to them getting out of range pretty quickly. So what I will do is I'll work. And then I'll pitch behind them. So I, I might have all the stuff in my bag. I might have all my bumpers in my bag. And as I work and the dog's working to the left, I'm throwing up and to the right when they're not looking. And then I'm going to work back into it. And then I'm going to work. So I don't give them the chance to win stuff way ahead and then go. That makes a ton of sense. So it's just, it, you know, and I, I think that's, a, you know, for me, that's a real similar um, scenario that I would do if I was training an upload dog. You know, to me, exactly. that, that's, I don't want dogs to get birdie at a, on a bird that's way down at the end of the field because I won't get invited on the next trip. You know, like that's, that's that guy. So um, it, very, <laughs> very similar. I just do a very similar type of drill, um, different shape, different smell. That's all. Cool. So from, so those are two great ideas and ways for people to develop the quarter. And then do you take them out, you know, and just basically, you know, one of our earlier podcasts, he's a upland bird guy, his way of describing, you know, developing a bird dog was birds make a bird dog. So sure. getting out there, spending time in the woods, spending time in the fields, Totally. That creates a real shed dog is just yep. get them out there. You know, do you, do you actually plant, I'd assume you do. Do you actually plant antlers out in a field and, and, you know, know that you're going to go on an hour long hike with this young dog and they're going to have to wait some time to find it, but you know, they're out there and so that they're going to be successful. I, I very rarely plant them. Um, the re and so I, I totally know what you're saying and I, I think it just is, makes logical sense and I think people assume to do it and but what I end up seeing is and it, and, and this will this will kind of depend on what your end goal is so um, I don't I don't do trials I don't I don't compete with dogs I I hunt them like my my ribbon is not a ribbon my ribbon is an antler if it's a shed dog so I I I don't I don't do trial type scenarios. But I think, and and I and I totally understand them. Like I get I get why they do them. I think it's great because I think it grows a lot of awareness for the sport. And um, you know, it's just it's just it's different. And and I think some people have to some people have a hard time realizing and understanding that it's different. But I think it's probably because they don't shed hunt either. Like a lot of people do competing in shed stuff, but don't don't actually shed hunt. And that's not to say everybody, because I know there's a lot of them that are really hardcore shed hunters. But I will say this, you train completely differently. And so the idea of like what you just touched on is huge is the idea of you, you could go for 
hours, like not just an hour. Like I, I, I shed hunt, I shed hunt as much as I can. I don't as much as I'd like to, um, but as much as I can. And I go quite a bit. I find, usually I find quite a few in a year uh, if I do get out, but we go a lot, we go, we put a lot of miles on and we walk a lot without finding any. And so what do you do in, the, in those situations? It, it, it's, it's hard to ask a young dog um, to do that. It's hard to ask a young dog to keep its focus. It's hard to keep a young dog uh, interested in something like that. So I, I don't, you know, from a training standpoint, I, I, I avoid the idea of going out and hiding a bunch of antlers because that's what everybody does and everybody does really well with it. And then they're all greatly disappointed on the weekend when they actually go shed hunting. And the reason I think it is, is because although their intentions are good, the, the actual connection from training transition from training to, to the field is missed and that it creates issues when you I don't care how many acres you have, um, and, and like 10 acres is not like 10 acres. We all know 10 acres is not a lot of land, but physically 10 acres is, you know, it's a pretty good chunk of it. When people realize what 10 acres really is, most people plant their antlers in about two or three acres max. And I think they got it in 10. And so what happens is they put five, six antlers in there and then they put their dog in there and then their dog flies from antler to antler to antler to antler and picks them all up and they're done in three and a half minutes. And they go, oh my God, this dog is on fire. Like this is the best shed dog ever. The pro- that it, for, In that scenario, it's real good and that's fine. But it's so unlikely that you're ever going to go into a spot that's two acres and find five, six sheds. Like, And, and then what do you do when, when, that, when that's done? Because you've got eight more hours of shed hunting to do. And so the idea of like being able to bridge and connect the focus on these young dogs is real important. And I do it really simply. Um, I just put a little shed in my back pocket. And so as I continue to go and I see it's, it's, again, this is the part that I like by working with a dog closely is being able to read the dog. Like I, I need, I'm watching the dog constantly. I found one antler, um, many, many years ago with Finn, that, that one of, one of my, one of my best, um, I found the antler and, and she had a hard time with it too. <clears throat> it was actually a buddy of mine that was looking for this specific deer shed. It was a big shed. Uh, he knew the deer shed. He knew it shed within a certain day because of his trail cameras. He knew it was in a certain block of woods. It was 80 acres, which is pretty good size. Knew that, figured that antler was in there. Uh, so he, he couldn't find it. He called me and asked me if I'd bring Finn. So I did. So we're going through and, um, it's one of my prouder moments, uh, in shed hunting, but we're going through and coming out, man, we can't find it. We're almost done. Like we're almost back to the trucks. And it was after several hours. And all of a sudden I look out, I'm, I'm walking up this hill and, you know, we're, I'm relatively close to her, but it was something about her body language changed. The rhythm of her tail changed the way she arched her back a little bit different and you could just it, it, she was birdie is what it looked like and, and it was just but it was just faint and you could just see she was just catching little bits and pieces of scent and then all of a sudden she really hovered and she just really was moving her nose left and right and left and right and I just watched this dog and it was just unbelievable but all of a sudden I'm looking and here that antler was it was in actually like a tree that had fallen over and the root ball was like up so there's this hole that antler fell down in the bottom of that hole and so it's down two, three feet below grade. And you could tell she was nowhere near the antler. 
Um, she was, I mean, she wasn't that far away, a couple of yards, but she was just working the nose up in the air. And it was, it, all it was, was that, that wind was working that scent that was swirling. She was just catching little pieces, little pieces, little pieces. So what I ended up doing was after all that time, by me seeing, like if I hadn't seen her, physically seen her, I would have kept, I just kept on walking and I may have even called her. And if I had called her, she may have came because you could tell it was so faint. The little bit of scent that she had was so faint, but because I read it and she was able, like a dog, that dog was able to kind of get work past the idea of being lulled into this sense of my God, we've been walking a long time and haven't found anything to all of a sudden she just, she responded, she reacted. Now she was a little bit older. Uh, she had some experience, but so I think you have to be watching your dog to see that stuff. And then when you see them like checked out, like they're eating more deer poop than anything. And I mean, they're just, they're just not interested. <laughs> then that's when I need to get them back. So I might drop an antler. I might circle back around and then I might let them find it. And I might watch them. I'm not going to coach them. I'm not going to help them. I think we get way too, way too, um, it's way too easy for us to see an antler and then like, walk the dog over and point its nose at it and be like, Oh, you found it. Like be uh, like, let the dog work. I, I stood, I watched one of my dogs find an antler live on Facebook. We were doing it live and like, she looked awful. I mean, it was her, one of her first antlers she ever found and she tripped on it three times. And just like, she just didn't pick it up. And so as frustrating as it was, as, as much as I wanted to just say, pick the damn thing up and let's go. It was, I just sat there and gritted it out and come on, you can find it. And you son of a gun, you, I mean, I was mad, <laughs> but then I went, but then I went, what am I going to gain right now by walking over and picking the antler up and keep moving? So we just waited and waited and waited. And when she did find it, eventually I treated that little dog like she saved the world. And, and I think that stuck with her. I think that was a big step for her. It was a big learning thing. So it, it all comes back to the big patience word. I mean, you got to have patience. That's huge, man. That's real huge. So I think the things that I want to maybe reiterate that I've learned and that Kevin has learned and what we'll do with Birdie um, is A, get them on scent. B, get them to make the antler a higher drive, a, you know, supply and demand style uh, object and build like we've done with pheasants, like we've done with ducks and experience. So you've experienced it in the backyard. You've experienced it in alfalfa fields. You've experienced it in the woods and, and teach that dog over time where they're going to find it, what the smell is, how to work a scent cone and to trust themselves that they're going to, you know, through patience and determination, that dog's going to be successful. Right. Is it, I think you got to look at it as a team. Like it's you and the dog together, not independent. Couldn't agree I, more. I, I, but I think you, you summarize it really well. Like that's, that, that's your approach. I, and I think, and I think the, the harder, one of the hard parts about shed training is we don't, you don't have nearly the opportunities that you do. As with a pheasant dog, like with a pheasant dog, it's pretty easy to go to a game. I just picked up 25 roosters yesterday. So like I just put 25 roosters in my little pen back here and 
that's 25 real birds that I'll be able to train with and dogs will have some really, really nice experience and opportunity. It's not the same as a South Dakota wild bird, exactly. but it's a, it's a step. It's incremental. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to eventually get to that South Dakota wild bird. Yeah. The thing about the South Dakota wild bird or the game farm or my backyard with 25 roosters is it's relatively easy for me to simulate very, very closely. Some could say realistically. I mean, in Wisconsin, we don't hardly have any wild birds. So like they're almost all planted. So as it's relatively easy to get a dog in front of lots of opportunities to gain experience when it comes to the birds, when it comes to shed hunting, like, I don't like I can South Dakota, you could walk a slew and flush five you your dog could get five hundred flushes in the first day between hens and you know, hens and roosters. Sure. You're not gonna find five hundred shed antlers. Like you, I won't find find five hundred shed antlers in multiple seasons. Right. So the opportunities are less, which means all the more reason you have to make the most of every one of them. And so and and that's why that's why, you know, it might take a couple seasons. To, I hate to disappoint people. No, I, I think I it's... I want to be realistic. No, I think it's to back to what we were talking about with clients and, you know, teaching them how, what a dog is. Like, yeah, your dog went through training. Yeah, you've put a lot of time in. But the only thing, you know, it, it's not going to come out in its first season and be an all-star. It's, right. it's third and fourth season it's going to finally put all these pieces of the puzzle together and be a true seasoned, you know, totally. nothing can shake it. Nothing can rattle it. It knows what to do. It knows to be patient. It knows to wait. It knows when gunshots go off. Not every bird falls, especially when Kevin's shooting. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and so it takes totally. time to develop a gun dog. It takes time to develop a shed dog. It takes patience and it takes experience. Um, a question I had written down, uh, I've got two more questions for you. One of the questions I had is for a novice shed hunter. So a guy or a girl who they, they've trained their dog, right? It's, they've spent a six months, whatever. They've got a young dog. They're going to take it out and hunt, but they don't really know what to look for cover wise or habitat wise that could be successful for them as well as a dog. Is there any advice you can give like, all right, if you're going to state land, you know, public land hunting, you know, in your state's different than mine versus Wyoming yep. versus wherever, but what kind of cover are you having a lot of success in that you can point these people in to, to help them and their dog? Sure. Um, it's a great question because the best shed dog in the world won't find sheds if they're not there. And that's just reality. And so I, I, this is me talking shed hunting now, not necessarily just dogs, but shed hunting in general. Uh, this is my personal experience, and I've I've found enough to to get better at it. And I think that's the key: is you find one, and then you go, "How come?" And then you you figure that part, all these parts and pieces out. But I personally can say this: I, I'm a. This is my this is my preference. You gotta you gotta have food, like the the depending on the so so you got to like break it down scientifically and realize like these deer shed in a short window of relatively short window of time spring late winter and so there's a lot of influences and things that change that you know stress and injury and all that stuff so you're you, there could be deer shed in the strangest places and they do because of things like that but as a rule you know the majority of the deer I'm a believer in the idea of 
towards the time of the year when they're going to shed deer are deer are always in survival mode like they they have to be they're hunted hard they 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 make a pretty tough living especially in certain areas so i think that you know i'm from the midwest but um it's completely driven that time of the year when they're shedding their life is revolving around food and trying to stay alive so i'm a believer in the idea of lowest pressure wins um most food wins and so i believe if you don't pressure deer uh meaning like you don't leave you leave them alone you don't push them around i think that in that time of the year late winter early spring that if they can help it they won't go for more than 40 acres away from a food source and i'm talking like big food sources not food plots not kill plots i'm talking like corn i'm talking beans i'm talking alfalfa talking spots that are like major food sources for these deer at that time of the year and i don't if they can they'll they'll try to not go as far they'll go as little as possible because it's it's just a numbers game for them like it's calories they have to bring in more calories than they burn and if they burn more than they bring in they'll die so they have to they are going to travel the least amount they're going to travel at certain times of the day when it burns the least amount of calories so if you leave them alone i think and you have a good food source I think we, on our farm, the farm that I hunt on, um, we leave like 19 acres, probably pretty close to 19 acres of beans and corn on the farm left standing. Some years it's even more, but it's 100% for sheds. Like, I mean, we, we late season hunt over it a little bit, but, um, I, we leave it cause we love to shed on it. And so what we do is we leave all that food. Well, you know, the farms around us that aren't so crazy about sheds, they harvest. And so what happens is, and we found, we, we, we find it every year. Um, we'll, you know, deer will come a long distance to live in the woods near our food and they'll do, they'll stay there. There's no reason for them to go anywhere else. We've given them everything they need. Um, now public, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, you're going on public ground, big state, state ground somewhere. I still think you got to find food. I mean, the deer, the deer have to be in areas that they're eating. And so, um, and, and I don't necessarily always find a lot of sheds in the food. I, I think deer spend time eating in the food, but then what happens is, is they get, they get off that, that field. They're not necessarily safe in that field all the time. So they get off and they get into thick stuff that's relatively close. They lay down and they chew their cud. And so when they, it's again, it's a numbers game. Like you got to look at a buck's daily activity and you go, it's it's an odds thing. It's just a numbers thing of the where is he spending the most time? Because you don't know when these things are going to fall off. And I don't think anyone can predict it. It's just, it happens and boom, they're off. And sometimes it happens and they, one stays, one side stays for a while. Like there's so, there's one of the interesting things about antlers in general, but um you you got to look at it and go where do they spend the majority of their time because there's a higher likelihood of them being there when the antler falls off like that's just that's just the numbers so i like to start in food and then i work my way back to bedding areas and between bedding areas and food i would say is probably 3 quarters of the time or more spent with those deer at that time of the year so you got 75 percent chance better chance of finding it in that area than outside they always find you know there's 
it, that's the thing about shed hunting. Like you'll you'll find these little pockets, and you'll find two three sheds in there. And I, sometimes we find multiple years of sheds in the same spots within. I found three years of one buck. All three years were within hundred yards of each other. And and the one the one year that I found the I found the match set, I had found the shed from two years prior still there like it was chewed up but it was still there and so these deer are habitual like they're so interesting that's I, I wild I, I just they they do the same things over and over and over that's why if they get old you know like i mean this buck was a five six year old buck that i found these sheds off of there's a reason he was five or six years old he did the same thing every year and it was the right move and he kept dodging you know, your the bullet that make their own moves they don't get to be five or six no doubt about it um, all right, my last question is, have you ever had a problem transitioning a seasoned gun dog? Like, I'm thinking, I've got an old dog, Buck, and he's he's eight and a half, and he's a pheasant machine, duck machine, and I, I would like to transition him to sheds for the simple being of keep his body moving, but I also, when he's out pheasant hunting, he is... I mean, it's, like, dangerous for his well-being as an older dog with arthritis. Like, he just goes so hard. He can't go as long. But if you just take him for a stroll and he knows you're not hunting, he's more easy going. And I'd like to get him into shed hunting. Have you had any issues where you're taking a dog who is looking for birds, right? Like, the ultimate. And now I want to transition into a shed is there anything I should look for in that training? Is there anything that I can do differently? What are your thoughts well, on that? I mean, I don't even I, know where to go with it. It's just, it's a thought I had that a seasoned yeah. gun dog is, might have a problem transitioning. I don't, I don't think it'll be a problem transitioning. I think, I think you'll have a problem trying if, if, and I'm not saying, I don't think that this is what you, I don't, I don't think this is what you're saying. I think you, I don't, I think you could have a problem if your idea would be he's balls to the wall and we go bird hunting, but shed hunting, like maybe he'll just go, maybe he'll just take it kind of cooler. Like I think if he's going to shed hunt, it's no different than if he's going to bird hunt. Like and, he's going to be all in. He should look at it. And that's how you, you ultimately would look at it as well. I do think that, you know, a little bit older dog, a little more mature, if you will, um, you know, physically, I don't see downside to it. I go, boy, that time of the year is when I don't do much with my dog. And that might be part of the issue of an all around general health thing. Like if I, it's like, you know, I, I don't work out. I, I should, I don't. And if I worked out, um, and I did it year round, I, I'd feel a hell of a lot better. I'd be able to do a lot more stuff, but I don't. Um, and sometimes I, there are times of the year for me that I really don't work out. Um, like just physically, I don't do that much stuff. And that alone affects me. Cause I go, man, I'm in the worst damn shape of my life. I got to, you know, so, so I think there's upside to it just physically by doing something in another time of the year when, when you wouldn't necessarily, um, be doing something actively with them. And, but as far as the hunt goes, I think you want the dog to work no different than if he was pheasant hunting. I, I think you want the dog to work with the idea of this thing, this antler, this shape, this smell, 
it's just as good as a bird. And, like and I've heard, I've heard so many, I've heard, I've heard several people say, oh, you'll never, you never, they never are. The, it, the bird is the bird. The bird is the best. The bird is this, the bird is that. I totally disagree. Like I've seen, I've seen drug dogs that are way more hyped up, jacked up, excited, like bonkers because they smell dope and they look, and you know what? They look just like my dog, their labs. <laughs> and so right. I don't think. I think it has to do with your training and your ability to to let the dog understand what it is you want and what it is that warrants the excitement. It, you know the 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 idea of their bird. You know the bird is the the biggest thing. Well, you tell that to the guys that started getting having dogs retrieve nets out of the sea because I don't buy it. Yeah, no, that's a great point, man. That's a really good point. Well, hey, Jeremy, thank you so much for your time tonight. I, I enjoyed talking you, with you. I enjoyed you know, hearing your perspective on training methodologies and how we can take our dogs, Birdie and Old Buck, out shed hunting. I mean, I think it's just another thing that all of us as gun dog owners can do with our dog in the off season to be outside, great outdoors, another hobby for us and our dogs to keep them rolling tell us where or tell people where they can find you on social media your website where they can find some of your products so that they can start yeah. training their dogs awesome uh so everything is is like our, our little call sign or name or whatever is dog bone hunter so our our website is dogbonehunter.com our um our facebook our instagram we have Snapchat. I don't use it that much. Um, but Facebook and Instagram are real big tools for us. And, and I guess YouTube, it's all at Dog Bone Hunter. Um, so I, I appreciate you guys having me on, man. I really enjoyed it. Um, would love to do it again if we get around to it. And um, appreciate you having me, man. I, I, I had a blast. I enjoyed it as Kevin and I enjoyed it as well. He just nodded at me. Um, so, Jeremy, thank you again. We're going to link this up. And I'm going to, you know, blast it all over Instagram and Facebook as well. So, um, awesome. dude, thank you so much. Thank you for your insight, knowledge, and we will catch you soon, buddy. Good luck this hunting season. You bet. Take care, guys. Enjoy the rest of the fall. Thank you. You too. Hey, patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters is a community that we built to help you and your dog on your journey to next duck season. There's videos that don't hit YouTube. There's happy hours where we drink a couple beers and I answer your questions every other week. And by the way, if you join between now and September 1st, you're entered to win a hunt with me and Kevin and other Patreon members. So jump in. Let's go. Join the community. We appreciate it. And we'll see you there. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.